Good morning. For those of you I haven't had a chance to meet, my name is John, and I'm the pastor here at Carolina Family Church, and this is a special weekend for us. Last weekend was our two-year anniversary as a church. We're just two years old, all right? We're still a little baby. We're a little baby, but we're surviving. I know the church statistics as far as planting churches say that the odds were stacked against us to make it that long, and we did, and it's thanks to you and your dedication and your support, and so thank you so much to our church family. For those of you that may be guests with us, I just want you to come. I want you to experience it today. I want you to see how much we love each other and how much we want to get done together. Now, our mission statement is to know God, find hope, live free, and do good. And we talk about that a lot as being a cycle, that we know God more and then we find the hope of Jesus Christ and we learn how to live free, and that helps us to do the good that God wants us to do. And when we do good, it helps us to know God. And when we know God, then we find more and more hope and then we live more and more free and then we do more and more good. So it's this upward cycle that we experience, not only as individuals, but also as a church. And if you want to know more about that, um, we did the whole message last week was on those four things, explaining where they come from in Scripture and what they mean. But uh, the fact that we're two years old uh, is really a, a milestone for us. And it makes me think about not only the fact that we do exist, but the, the question of why we exist. I'll tell you that we didn't plant Carolina Family Church because Salisbury needed another church. It wasn't like there was a severe lack of churches in the area and there was a major gap that needed to be filled because nobody was talking about Jesus. That's not, that's not why we started this church. We started this church because we want to have an impact on the community around us. And I, you might have wondered this, for those of you that have been around for a while, because you might have looked at our church and said, you know, when we first started, we talked a lot about community impact and missions. And over the last two years, I haven't seen us doing a lot of that stuff. So where has it been? <laughs> the answer is, we've been getting ready. And we spent the first two years of our church making sure that we were stable. And this was the plan from the beginning, by the way, to make sure that we were stable as a church because we want to make sure that what we build here is something that's sustainable, that's going to last through the generations, and that's going to have a real tangible, meaningful impact on our community, not a fly by the seat of our pants, come in like a bull in a china shop kind of impact on our community. And... Uh, Make no mistake about it, Jesus could come back today and all of our preparation would be, would be worthwhile, but he could come back today and we could move on to the next season. Uh, but we want to be prepared for the long haul as a church. And so we spent two years listening to our community, learning about our church, and getting to know the people in our church we needed two years to, to observe Salisbury, Rowan County, and see what was going on here, what was being done well, what wasn't being done, or what wasn't being done well, and finding answers to those questions before we just presumed we knew how to help. And so we spent two years listening. We spent two years getting to know each other. You know, a lot of us, some of us had pre-existing relationships before we showed up at Carolina Family Church. Most of us didn't. And so we, we come together here as a church and we talk about our values and we talk about our mission and we talk about all this stuff so we can all get on the same page and all say, yeah, I'm in for this. I'm in for this. I'm in for this. Getting things healthy. We spent two years getting ourselves financially healthy and stable. And I want you to know that we are. We are not concerned about what the offering is going to be this week so that we might survive next week, okay? We are financially stable. And we have made wise decisions in that area. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that as we go forward in the message today. We've been getting stable and getting our feet under us to make sure that, that we can provide something that's going to last. 
And we spent two years establishing the leadership in our church because there's no way that what God has called us to in our community, I or my wife Jess could ever do by ourselves. And so God has been building a base of leadership here in our church of group leaders and team leaders and trustees who handle the financial side of things and elders who handle the spiritual side of things in our church. And God has been establishing that as letting us get to know each other so we can trust each other and work together. So we spent two years building a foundation. We needed time to establish and assess. And I believe that in year three, this is the year that we're going to build the kind of ministry to our community that we've all been looking forward to, the kind of ministry that is going to make a real substantive difference in our community that's going to make a change generationally in our area. Now, one of the things we've been doing over the last couple of years uh, is, like I said, assessing. And we've had a lot of conversation with community leaders in different environments. And what I kept hearing, what I kept hearing from people, you know, they would talk about this ministry's here, this church is doing this, a lot of, you know, the details of what's going on. What I kept hearing consistently over and over and over again from everybody I talked to was that in our community, there is a general sense of hopelessness that we cannot seem to escape. The idea that things will never get better, that they will never be different, that I will never come out of my situation, that I will never have the value that I want to have, I will never have the purpose that I want to have. And while it broke my heart to consistently hear that over and over again from people in this area, it at the same time gave me a great level of excitement because I know how to fix that. We know how to fix that. But we have to build something, we have to do something that is tangibly, practically going to help people to find that and see it. And it needs to be, listen, needs to be more than our church service on the weekend. It's not sufficient because there are a lot of people who will never step foot into this service. They will never walk in these doors because it has church on the name. Because it says Carolina Family Church, they're not going to show up. Or because they had a bad experience in middle school. They just don't want to be here. So for whatever reason, you know, they won't. It's not true. Nobody has a bad experience in middle school. <laughs> says the assistant principal who does discipline all the time. Anyway, <laughs> nobody, how many kids today said I hate this, or this week said I hate this school out loud? Zero. Okay, that's good. That's good. So they loved it. All right, good. Glad to hear it. All right. So I think this is very important for us to see and to know that this exists in our community. And I'm not saying you know, that, it's a, that it's a new idea or that our community is even unique in that. I think it's consistent across cities and towns and counties across the entire country. There's a general sense of hopelessness. Jesus spoke to this, and, and I want to be clear that um, when I look at this town, and I think probably when you do too, if we take off our rose-colored glasses and be honest, we would look at Salisbury, at Rowan County, at Rockwell, at Granite Quarry, at, at Spencer, at all these places in our area, and we would say, we're not okay. We're not okay. I think that there is, there is a mentality that exists in this area, and it has for some time, to try and pretend like we're okay. 
And I really feel like when, when Salisbury was fairly wealthy, which, you know, up until, what, 2004, 5, when the, three, four, five, when the plant started to close and people started to lose jobs. And Salisbury, at one time, I, from what I hear, had more millionaires per capita than any other place in the country. And uh, I think it was easy then to say, we're okay, we're okay, we're okay. And it feels like over the last 10 or 15 years, the blinders have been lifted and our community has had to be honest and say, no, we're not. We're not Okay. And I think that's an important step for us to take. Today, I want, to, I want us to learn, I want us to see from Jesus in Matthew chapter 9. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is near the beginning of his ministry, and he's beginning to see, and now he's God, of course, fully God and fully man, but he's, he's on earth, he's doing active ministry, he's beginning to see the level of hopelessness that existed even in his community in that, in that day. And in Matthew chapter 9, he's just come off of the great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7. He's been doing ministry and casting out demons and healing people of their diseases. And all of a sudden, it's, you see this moment in this chapter where the weight of his ministry, the weight of the need, overwhelms him. And he actually changes his method of operation a bit right here in Matthew chapter 9 because of that. Now, let's, let's pick it up on uh, Matthew chapter 9, um, starting in verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. Also, by the way, the writer of this gospel, talking about himself in third person. All right, so he sees a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. Now, you got you to understand, historically, they hated tax collectors. Not much has changed. Okay? But particularly at this time, tax collectors would, would take advantage of people. They were, they were officers of the Roman government, and the Roman government was occupying this area of the world. And uh, so the Roman government would impose taxes, but then a tax collector could add on whatever he wanted for himself. And so they would, they would just take advantage of that system, and they would become very wealthy, and they were hated by people they were looked at, not only as greedy, but also as traitors. And so Jesus walks up to this tax collector, Matthew, and he says, hey, you, come follow me. And he does. So he rose and followed him. Verse 10. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house. He's, the house is going to be Matthew's house. He's, he's at Matthew's house having dinner after he called him. And behold, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. So they had a party with a pretty rough crew. This is what's happening. And the religious people see it. When the Pharisees saw it, they're the religious leaders, they said to his disciples, so not the Jesus, by the way. <laughs> I just want to point that out. The Pharisees have a problem with Jesus. Instead of going to Jesus, who do they go to? The disciples, right? Because maybe the disciples will handle the problem for them. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Anybody? Nobody's ever done that. Um, but the Pharisees saw it, said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? See, they thought they were above that. Jesus, they thought they were above it. They said, why, is it, why are they doing that? When Jesus heard that, <laughs> he's got good ears. You'll find that out in scripture, by the way. Jesus has pretty good ears. He overhears, there are often times where somebody's saying something to someone else and Jesus just pipes in because he picks up on it. He's got like mom ears. You know what I mean? Where you're in the other room and you whisper something. You don't think even the person you're talking to heard you. But then from the other room, I heard that. <laughs> right? Yeah, those are mom ears. Jesus had mom ears. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> anyway. So uh, when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. 
But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He's quoting back. It's, a, it's from the prophet Hosea, Hosea 6, 6, I believe, um, where the nation of Israel had turned their back on God. They were still observing the sacrifices and all the religious stuff they were supposed to do. They, their heart wasn't in it. And so they had to be challenged on that. And so Jesus is challenging the Pharisees here, and he's saying, hey, you're doing all the right stuff. I get it, but your heart's not in it. You've, you've, you've lost your way. He says, I want you to go research that, check that out for yourself. And he says, for... I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, he's not saying that there are righteous people who don't need to repent of their sin. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying there are people who do need to be saved and those that don't need to be saved. He's saying there are people who know that they're sinners. And there are people who pretend that they're not. He's saying, hey, I didn't come to deal with the people who think they're okay. I came to help the people who know they're not. So the first thing that we have to do if we want help is we have to be willing to say, we're not okay. We're not okay. And if we think that we are and we think that our community's all right, we've lost our way. So we have to first admit that we're not okay. We get to see this. I bet you see it where you work and where you go to school and where you live. I bet you see it in the newspaper. I bet you... I'll let you see it on your, uh, your social media feeds. I know Jess sees it all the time, being an assistant principal in a middle school. What we've noticed is that all the problems that we have, and there's a lot of them, and they're, they're very different. And while there are different solutions to different problems, one thing, one consistent thread that we've noticed is that the issues that we face, the struggle that we have, the crime, the, the divorce, the drug abuse, the, all of the depression, the loneliness, the, all this stuff that we have, you can trace almost every issue we, back, we have back to one core thing, and that's our families. Families is where it all starts. We've got people in our community that have absolutely no idea how to be a husband or a father because they didn't have a dad who showed them how to be a husband or a father. They don't, know how to, they don't know how to control their desires and their urges because they lived in environments, came out of environments where people didn't control their urges or desires. They're living a materialistic life, a life totally focused on greed and having things because it's all they've ever seen and it's all they've ever known. And, and our normal is so twisted from what God wants it to be. And it all begins with our family. And our community's problems are almost all rooted in family problems. And family problems are not easy. They're not simple and they're not clean. They're not messy. They're not, they're not quick to fix because in many cases they are generational. They are built into the very way that we think about the world. So in order to improve, in order to change, in order to make a difference in that area, it requires time, it requires commitment, and it requires focus. But we genuinely believe that helping families is the best way that we can help our community. And we've become increasingly convinced that if we can change a family, we can change the world. Now, when we named this church Carolina Family Church, it was because, first of all, we're going to be a church family. Okay? It does not mean, and I want to be clear about this, it does not mean you have to have a family to be a part of our church. It doesn't mean that we're a church of families it means we are a church family and we are for families, which means the impact that we're going to make in the community is going to be laser focused in on the family issues that 
cause the problem. And so when we look at the problems in our community, we have to look at them with eyes of compassion. Now, it's very easy to judge. It's very easy to be angry. It's very easy to say, how could you? How could they? How do they not know better? Why can't they do this? Why can't they change? Why would they let that decision that they've made impact other people? It's easy to look at people and to be angry or to judge them or to categorize them. We need to be very careful of doing that. Jesus says this to the Pharisees about uh, him coming for the people who know they're not okay. And then he begins to demonstrate what that looks like. So I want to go forward a few verses to verse 35, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And what I want you to see here is he was concerned about them spiritually. He was concerned about them emotionally. He was concerned about them physically. He was concerned about the people in his community. And he went around doing his ministry. And this is, this is, a, this is a pivotal moment in the Bible. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes... When he saw how big the problem was, when he saw how many people were affected and how much work there was to do, he was moved with compassion for them. He didn't get mad at them. He didn't judge them. Jesus said, I did not come into the world to judge the world, but to save the world. He didn't look at people and categorize them or marginalize them or push them off. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't write them off, okay? He had compassion for them because, here's why, they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. He said, nobody's helping them. Nobody's guiding them. Nobody's teaching them. A shepherd, a shepherd knows his flock. A shepherd leads and guides his flock. A shepherd protects his flock from outside attacks. And Jesus looked at these people. He looked at these multitudes who were sick and were weary and were scattered and were scared. And he said, they don't have anybody to lead them. And so he looked at them with compassion. And we have to begin there. We have to look at our, computer, our community with compassion. We need to look at people who are struggling and hurting, people that maybe we wouldn't deal with on a normal basis, people who live lifestyles we wouldn't live, who make decisions we wouldn't make. And instead of judging them, we need to look at them and have compassion for them because they are sheep without a shepherd. They need a shepherd. So we need to be fueled by compassion. And, and if compassion is not in our heart, I want you to work on that first. I want that to be step number one for you. To begin looking at people, maybe when you're driving down the street and you see people who are of a different socioeconomic status of you or, or look different than you, dress different than you, act differently than you, speak differently than you, and I want you to look at them and I want you to consciously make yourself think compassionately about them. And ask the Spirit to do that in your heart, because it has to start there. Jesus looked at the multitudes, and he had compassion on them. And he knew instantly that even though he was the Son of God, fully God and fully man at the same time, there was no way he had the time or the energy or the ability to do for all of these people what they needed to have done for them. And so in that compassion, look at the next verses. Matthew chapter 9, 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, 
but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Jesus said, I know I can't do all of this, but there is so much that needs to be done. And so he looks at him and he says, I want you to pray that God is going to send people out to do it. And of course he means you <laughs> and the people that you're going to equip to do it. The, one, of the, one of the great verses of the Bible, for pastors anyway, says that he called pastors and teachers and evangelists and all of this. And our job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Not to do everything, but to equip other people to do it. To send out laborers into the harvest. To, with compassion to say, I'm going to do something about this. We're going to do something about this. And what are we doing? We are trying to bring people under the direction, the care, and the protection of the shepherd. To bring them under the direction, the care, and the protection of the shepherd. I believe God has given our church a vision of something to do to send laborers out into the harvest that is going to have a tangible, long-term, meaningful impact on families in our community. You want to hear what it is? You want to hear what we're going to do? Okay. All right. First of all, I want you to know, you know, we're, what we've been doing, we've been looking for what, as Carolina Family Church, what our unique contribution to this community is going to be. There are a lot of people that are doing amazing things. We don't need to, over, we don't need to redo something someone is already doing really well. But there are areas of need in our community. So we've been looking for what our unique contribution would be. The first piece of our, minute, of our vision is to be a healthy church on mission together. That's what we've been working on for two years. The second piece of our vision statement is to equip families to honor God in their relationships. And that's not just a statement. It's not just something we do in services. It's not just something we do in groups. It's something we are tangibly going to do in our community. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to establish a family center in Salisbury that will equip families to honor God in their relationships. It is going to be a place in Salisbury where people, and it will not say Carolina Family Church on it, but we're going to make it happen. It's going to be a center where people can go and they are going to get instruction, training, they're going to get encouragement, and they're going to get community for their family-related issues. Three things I see us doing, three categories. The first is training. Teaching people the skills that they need in order to be successful in their relationships. Skills like parenting. Where, where do you go to learn how to be a parent? You have kids. That's the way it works right now. <laughs> and, you, and you go talk to mom, you know. But who knows if mom knows what she was doing? I guess you turned out okay, you know? So you figure, we're, we can teach people parenting skills like discipline, like what appropriate consequences are and how you follow through on those things. You know, how to keep your kids focused on the right. We can teach people how to do this. The scripture teaches us how to do it. We can pass that on. Teaching skills like financial management. I mean, it messes with so many relationships. How many relationships blame, blame money? For the cause of divorce, the number's huge. But it's a, it's a skill that can be taught. And so we want to offer it. Things like that. Skills, how do you date in a way that honors God? How do you look for that other person 
in the right way. This is something we can teach. So we'll include training. The second layer I see is coaching. Coaching is counseling that guides through individual situations. It's one-on-one. Sitting down with someone who's going, who's thinking about getting a divorce and being able to talk them through how to make a different decision. To be able to, to, to offer, this is, this is so important, to offer premarital counseling for couples who are going to get hitched. Like, before you get married, you should know a little bit about what it means to be married and how to be successful in a relationship. I require it. If I'm ever going to do a, a, perform a ceremony for someone, I require that, that they go through premarital counseling. Uh, but not a lot of people do. But we want to be able to offer that to our community so that anybody who's getting married can come and be a part of that. Coaching on things like grief. How do you get through it when you lose a spouse? How do you survive that? How do you, how do you get through the loss of a child? Where would you go if you needed help? Let me say, if you didn't have a church family, because hopefully you can find these things in your church family, but if you don't have a church family, your only other option is to go pay for a counselor. And there's a lot of people that can't do that, won't do it. So training, the second piece is coaching, and the third piece is community. These, if you want to think of it this way, it's a bit, it would be a bit like support groups. So if I did lose a child, I need, I need counseling. I need coaching right away on how to process those feelings. And then over the long haul, I need to be in a community of other people that have lost a child because unless you've lost a child, you don't know what it feels like. But the people who've been through it do. And we need support. I've been talking a lot with um, uh, Sherry Evans, who's the director of the Pregnancy Support Center in Salisbury. They do a fantastic job. They're amazing. And uh, I've asked Sherry, I said, what do you need? Because they're doing a great job of what they're doing, helping women make the choice to choose life, all right, to have their babies and know that they're supported. I said, what do, what do you need? What can we do? Because I don't want to redo what you're doing. What, what do we do? And she said, well, first, you could keep them from showing up here. Like, that would be like, if you could keep them from getting in the situation in the first place, that would be helpful. <laughs> like, okay, good, yeah, sure. Um, but the second piece, and this is, this is what, really, what really got me. She said, we've got great programs, but there comes a point where the women who, it's pre- predominantly women that come through, she said, the, it's the women, they graduate from our program, and then where do they go? They go back to the same community with the same friends, with the same influences, and what happens? They make the same decisions. They've been discipled in a culture. And if they go right back into that same culture, they make the same choices. She said, I need somewhere where they can be rediscipled. I need somewhere where they can get in touch with moms who are being successful, moms who, are support, who will support them, moms who will encourage them to make the right decisions. See, people need community. Uh, and let, me, let me put it to you this way. I, I use this analogy. It's a drastic analogy. Forgive me for that. But, you know, sometimes we need drastic stuff. I want you to imagine for a moment that a guy is working on a roof and uh, he falls off of the roof. I've done that before. That's why I can really relate to this. Uh, he falls off of the roof while he's working. He falls two stories and he breaks both of his legs. What do you have to do for him? You got to get him to the hospital, right? You got to get him in an ambulance. You got to get him to the hospital. They got to set the bones. They got to put on a cast. And then he's probably going to have an extensive rehab till he can get back to full strength. 
Well, most of what we see in our community is designed to get people to the hospital to set their bones and to, and to get the cast on. And that's good. We need that. We need crisis management. But I don't see our role being there as much as I see our role keeping them from falling off the roof in the first place. That would be the best solution. And helping to rehab over the long haul. And you just got to know if this is what we're going to do and if you're going to do it with us, it's messy and it ain't easy. And it ain't quick and it ain't clean. And so what we are committing ourselves to as a church is to do the dirty work. The relational dirty work. And, and I want to be really clear about this. This is so important. We are not giving people self-help tips. We are not just going to help them get through their situation. We're not just going to make them feel better about what's going on. It's not everyday counseling or, or anything like that. The purpose of our ministry is to disciple people in honoring God. To come under the care and the the direction and the protection of the shepherd, Jesus Christ. And to learn how to live in a way that honors and glorifies him. Rather than in the way that we naturally tend to live our life. So this is a, what this is going to be is a public discipleship ministry to our community. It has to be at the center. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ has to be at the center of everything we do. So we're not teaching people how to build wealth. We're teaching people biblically how to manage their money in a way that honors God. We're not teaching people how to just be good disciplinarians and to raise kids that are well-adjusted to society. We will teach people how to raise kids that are well-adjusted to following Christ. So it is going to be gospel-centered, faith-centered, and it must, it must happen that way but it's gonna take a lot of work to do this. And that's where I wanna ask you to consider what your role in it is gonna be. Because I do not believe that God brought you here by accident. I do not believe that God has assembled this church just so that we can worship together on the weekends. It's great. This is awesome. I love this. But I believe that God is putting together a body and that body is supposed to function in a particular way. And each part of that body has been brought to the body so it can do that so that we can play the role that God wants us to play. And so I see this being a place in Salisbury called the Family Center. Now, one of the big questions uh, that I've been asked as I've been talking to people about this is where, because I know you're thinking about all different kinds of places. Uh, First of all, we are not looking for a place to have church on the weekend. This is working great. Okay, so we are going to stay here. We don't need a massive place. We don't need a ton of square footage. We don't need to do all of this. I believe being here is great stewardship. You know, we, we use this. We need this kind of space for a few hours on Sunday. The rest of the week, we don't need that much space. So we don't need to be paying for that much space. So uh, I see it being a place that has one or two meeting rooms in it and then some offices so that our church can have offices there, but also so that people who are serving and the staff at the family center can be there located as well. I see it being in Salisbury in the city of Salisbury, because it uh, creates the best opportunity for ministry. Particularly, a lot of the people that we are going to be serving do not have access to transportation. People who are in the, below the poverty line in our community, transportation is one of the biggest problems they have, so we need to be within walking distance of them and not make them figure out a way to come to us. So we're going to go to them. Which means, ideally, I think we're going to be close to where uh, Inner Street 52 and 85 cross. 
somewhere there. And I want to be sure that wherever we land has good visibility from the road so people know we exist. (laughs) So they can see it and we could offer our ministry to them. Now, one of the, I guess the next question would be, well, when's this happening? (laughs) Good question. Not right away. It will happen this year. It will happen in year three for Carolina Family Church, possibly in the fall, possibly at the first of the year next year. We aren't sure yet. We've been talking with the trustees about all the logistics that we need to put in place in order to make this happen, and there are a lot. Um, And so it will be coming soon. And what that's going to do, it's going to give us time to make sure that we're prepared, but it's also going to give you time to consider what your role in this is going to be. Uh, So I guess one of the other questions is who's going to pay for it, right? (laughs) How are we going to pay for office space? And I do think that we need to have someone who's in charge of it, a staff person who's paid to give their entire energy and life and attention to the family center to begin with. Who's going to pay for that? Well, I have good news for you. (laughs) Our goal for the family center is that we will fund it 100% as a church. We will fund the family center out of our weekend offerings, It will be what we do in ministry as a church. One of the big issues that we have in Salisbury is that there is a certain, I hate to put it this way, but there's a certain size pie as far as financial resources go. And every time someone starts something new, uh, I've experienced this many people in town groan because they don't see the pie getting any bigger. Their slice is getting a little bit smaller. We don't want to take any resources away from the organizations that are already doing an amazing job in Salisbury. And so we're going to pay for it. It's our thing. It's our ministry. It's our passion. And so the budget for the Family Center will come out of our weekend offerings as Carolina Family Church. And that's one of the things, again, with the trustees, we're working through to make sure we have the correct margin and break-even analysis and all the stuff you got to do to make sure that that's going to work. But we're going to prioritize that and make sure that, uh, that, that we are supporting it in every way. So I want you to know when you give financially to Carolina Family Church, you're, just not, you're not giving just so we can have services and groups and all that. You'll be supporting the Family Center too. You say, well, what about the upfront cost of, of, of an office building and renovating and getting furniture and all that stuff? I, I have good news. <laughs> For the last two years, our church has faithfully been saving 10% of our offerings every single month so that we would be ready when something like this happened. Instead of scrambling on the back end, spending every dollar that we, that we receive as a church and scrambling on the back end to do a building campaign or some sort of big fundraising event, which I hate and don't want to do ever, uh, we've been faithfully, diligently saving over the last two years so that we were ready when the time came. And I'm sure that we have enough to do whatever it is God wants us to do. And so we're going to do this. Who's going to staff it? We are. We are. You are. Which is why I want you to start thinking about what you're passionate about. Start thinking about what you have experience in. We're going to need people who are willing to teach some of these classes. Who are willing to say, yes, I know enough about finance. I know enough about parenting. I know enough about dating. We can have, we'll have curriculum and all of that, right? And And uh, that you would be willing to teach. We need people who will support those teachers, who will be administrative support to communicate with people. People who are maybe setting up snacks and refreshments for the group or the teams when they come in or making sure everything's set as far as media or video or whatever. We're going to need people doing that sort of thing. We're going to need people who are willing to be coaches, counselors for people, who are are willing to walk one-on-one through situations with people. 
And we're going to need people who are willing to lead and participate in groups. People who are, who are recovering. People who are healing. People who are walking through life. And you might be the leader of that group or you might just attend that group to help support and create the community that needs to be created. I want you to think about what your role in it is. And I would venture a guess to say you have a role in it if you're a part of our family, our church family. And I want to be clear about this because I haven't said it yet. Everything that we offer through the Family Center will be absolutely free. Nobody will pay for anything to be a part of any of the ministries at the Family Center. We don't want any barriers to them coming in and experiencing what we believe God wants them to experience. Who's going to do it? We are. You know what happens immediately after Jesus says, uh, Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out laborers into the harvest. And then there's a chapter break in the Bible, which can trick us sometimes because it makes us think that something new is happening, but something new isn't happening. Because chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus says this, And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. He says, hey, I'm not going to be able to do all of this. Pray that God will send people out. You, right here, gives them power and sends them out. And I want you to know that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few in town. And we need to pray that God will send out laborers into the harvest. That's you. And when you go out into it, and when you make a commitment to say, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to support. This is how I want to be a part. This is my part in the body that God empowers you through his spirit to do exactly what he wants you to do. So don't let fear or anxiety or concern, worry, any of those things. Don't let inadequacy or insecurity or any of that keep you from playing the part in this that God wants you to play. Because the only way we're making the splash in town that God wants us to make a splash is if we're all jumping in the pool at the same time. Okay? And with confidence. You tuck that cannonball and you, you get at it. Okay? We're going to do it. And I want you to start praying. I want you to start thinking about how you're going to support it. How you're going to be a part of it and make it happen with us. We still got a lot to do. You say, what exactly are we going to offer? I don't know. That depends on you. <laughs> That depends on what your passion is and what your gift is. And so what I want you to do, if you, if you feel like God is already telling you or at any time over the next, you know, until we launch the thing, if you feel like God is saying, this is the part I want you to play, I want you to let me know personally in writing, because I'll forget if you don't put it in writing, all right, let me know in writing what part you feel like you're supposed to play. And I'll put that down. And what's going to happen is that the details of this, the form of this specifically is going to be determined by the form of our church. And that only happens when you boldly step forward to do what God wants you to do and make sure we know what that is. But the goal of this whole thing, the goal of this whole thing is to have an impact on people's lives that not only affects our community today, but affects their lives for all of eternity so that they learn that they can put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and have salvation. First and foremost, that's got to be step one. And they learn that they can be faithful to him in life, earning reward later and confidence for all of eternity. That they can make a change generationally in their family tree on the power and the direction and the protection of their shepherd, Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you to join me in that as we launch into this new year and this new season of ministry. All right, let's pray together and ask God's blessing.
God, I thank you so much. Jesus, I want to, I want to thank you specifically for the model you gave us of compassion. Someone with the level of holiness, righteousness that you have. To look on people who are hurt and sinful and fallen and instead of judging them and instead of casting them aside, embraced them, loved them. And for us to know in this room today that no matter what we've done, no matter how far we feel like we've fallen, that you already know and you forgive through Christ. And that all we have to do is put our faith in you. Faith in Christ and your death, faith in your resurrection, belief in you. And when we believe in you, we are saved. And then you want to change us. You want to transform us. You want to mold us into the image of your son, which includes going into our community the same way Jesus did and having compassion for people who are hurting, having compassion for people who are lost, having compassion for people who are scattered, and actively taking steps to serve them the same way Jesus did. I pray for each person in the room that through the power of the Spirit, you would speak to them individually about what their role in this is. Maybe it's here with us at Carolina Family Church. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's through another ministry, but that you would fill us with compassion. And as our church specifically sets out at this goal to create a center where families can be taught how to honor you in their relationships, that you would give boldness and direction to us, that we would do it your way, that we would do it in a way that is compelling to our community and effective, and that through that, we would bring more and more people into your family under the direction and the care and the protection of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen.